The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic decided to support the software social community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by Domain Mapper. Domain Mapper gives you a single place to see all of your domains from multiple registrars and their DNS settings. Automated tracking for domains includes AMX and TXT records. Plus, you can get domain renewal reminders so you never lose one of your domains. Check it out at domainmapper.app. Thanks again to Balsamic for generously supporting our listeners this way. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, visit balsamic.com slash go slash software dash social. So Michelle, I saw a tweet you had the other day where you just casually dropped that you were quoted in Adam Grant's new book. What is that about? Yeah, it's it's kind of a funny story. Um, so Adam Grant, who wrote Originals, um, has a new book out called Think Again. And a vignette from my application to uh, my old job um, actually is in the book. Uh, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so how did that happen? So he gave a talk um, at the place I used to work. And the talk was on... Um, sort of unexpected uh, findings and and learnings. And there was this one particular story he told that prompted me to go um, ask him a question and talk to him afterwards. And I love that story, if I can just tell it for a second. So he was saying how there was this startup that was pitching some venture capitalists for funding. And in addition to all of the slides you would expect about, you know, the problem they're solving and how they're doing it and why are they are the team to do it and how they're taking over the world and all those kinds of things. They also had a slide in there that straight up said all of the reasons why their company may not work. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's not something that people normally put in a slide deck. And it, what really struck out to me was he said that instead of the uh, VCs going, yeah, you're right, like this idea sucks, your company's never going anywhere, your team isn't qualified, like all, right? Instead, the VCs started problem solving with them and talking about how they could help the company overcome these problems and avoid these pitfalls. And it went from this kind of I don't want to describe it like pitching as an adversarial relationship, but it's definitely like a weird, icy dance um, to one that was like really collaborative and they were diving in together and, and the, those sort of veneers were dropped. Um, and and he was talking about how, you know, they, they, they said that it wasn't going to work out and then that made people more interested in, in talking to them and helping them. Um, and so... I went up to talk to him afterwards because that that kind of reminded me of the application that I had uh, written um, to the company because I had written in the application basically that I was probably not the candidate that they were envisioning and that I didn't meet the qualifications they were asking for, but that I had other things um, that I was bringing to the table. Um, and so he, you know, tells that story um, in the book, I, I was also on his work life podcast uh, a couple of years ago telling that story. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. It's kind it's kind of weird. You're like secretly uh, famous and you never told us. I feel like. 
<laughs> like you should have told me. I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Colleen. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild seeing my own name, um, in print but anyway so since i'm in this book um and also i just enjoy his books in general i figured i should read it um yes good choice good choice <laughs> he did send me a free copy of it so um and i absolutely loved it um actually there was some the part in it that kind of reminded me of something that um you've been going through and is something that's really common that i see in um entrepreneurs um, people who are starting out and also people who've um, been doing it for a long time. Which is? So I'm going to, if you'll bear with me for a moment, I am just, I'm going to read from the book. I have it in front of me here and it's a couple of paragraphs. So just bear with me here. Um, so he's talking about if you can train people to think more like scientists and do they end up making smarter choices? And so he says, a quartet of European researchers ran a bold experiment with more than 100 founders of Italian startups in technology, retail, furniture, food, healthcare, leisure, and machinery. Most of the founders' businesses had yet to bring in any revenue, making it an ideal setting to investigate how teaching scientific thinking would influence the bottom line. The entrepreneurs arrived in Milan for a training program in entrepreneurship. Over the course of four months, they learned to create a business strategy, interview customers, Build a minimum viable product, then re- refine a prototype. When they didn't know, what they didn't know was that they had been randomly assigned to either a scientific thinking group or a control group. The training for both groups was identical, except for that one was encouraged to view startups through a scientist's goggles. From their perspective, their strategy is a theory, customer interviews help develop hypotheses, and their minimum viable product and prototype are experiments to test these hypotheses. Their task is to rigorously measure the results and make decisions on whether their hypotheses are supported or refuted. Over the following year, the startups in the control group averaged under $300 in revenue. The startups in the scientific thinking group averaged over $12,000 in revenue. They brought in revenue more than twice as fast and attracted customers sooner too. Why? The entrepreneurs in the control group tended to stay wedded to their original strategies and products. It was too easy to preach the virtues of their past decisions, prosecute the vices of alternative options, and politic by catering to advisors who favored the existing direction. The entrepreneurs who had been taught to think like scientists, in contrast, pivoted more than twice as often. When their hypotheses weren't supported, they knew it was time to rethink their business models. What's surprising about these results is we typically celebrate great entrepreneurs and leaders for being strong-minded and clear-sighted. They're supposed to be paragons of conviction, decisive and certain. Yet evidence reveals that when business executives compete in tournaments to price products, the best strategies are actually slow and unsure. Anyway, okay. I'm going to stop there. But so what he's really talking about is the flexibility to change your mind and being open to new perspectives on things. And this reminded me of how when you were originally building your your file upload tool, it was originally only for files. And then you keep talking about images and, and like, do people need images? And you're talking to people. And But the really, like, the core idea of this is, you know, we wrap up so much of our own feelings in the idea that we have, right? Like, we, we attach yes. the validity of the idea to the validity of of ourselves right yep and 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 the person who 
if the idea is valid, then the person who created the idea is valid, right? Like there, there's this sort of unspoken connection between those things. But if we can detach our, um, you know, our, our, our feelings from it and our sense of identity from that and, and like our original idea and we can say, okay, like, does this actually, you know, how does this actually work in the real world and how might other people think about it and being open to how other people think about it and pivot, then we'll be much more successful. Um, and it just really reminded me a lot of the kind of different struggles you've had around what should I build and your initial idea versus people are telling you what they're using for it and, 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 and what do you do with that information? Yeah. And it's interesting because the very first iteration of my product was completely different. It was actually designed to be like shared files in the cloud for teams for you to use on your websites. Oh, yeah. Because that's how... Cause that's how I used it. So I like to have all of my files in the cloud. I don't like to package anything in, um, on my servers. And so I was always dropping, like, if you go to my website, simplefileupload.com, I serve that video from my simplefileupload.com. Dog fooding. Nice. Yeah. I serve that video from my cloud storage, right? So I like to serve everything from cloud storage. So I had first set it up to be static files for websites and no one cared. I mean, that was, so that first time that was hard. I know. And then just the other day, someone was like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we had a service? And I was like, they were like, if we had a service for static files. And I was like, yeah, I built that and no one wanted it. So (laughs) I had to change it. I totally agree. But I do think it's important. Something that I have really struggled with is giving up too early. Mm-hmm. So when I feel like in my previous ideas, cause I, I did a deep dive on several things. I think, you know, I did the, um, babysitting thing I wanted to do. Then there was the, uh, content marketing site that was going to do like a deep dive on your content marketing. Then there was, um, I don't know. There was something else, but each one of those looking back, I feel like I could have succeeded with any of those ideas, but I gave up a little too early. So I think the difference between like, this is a terrible idea and pivoting is important to keep in mind too. I think there's also a lot more black and white there. And I think the ideas you had were good ideas. It just may be a question of like, are you the right person to do them? Is it the right time to do them? Um, you know, I remember what you mentioned as your, uh, babysitting idea was actually like a pretty good idea for like military moms to watch other people's children as a way to make money because it's really hard for military moms to work. Um, and like, it it was a regulatory problem in Virginia that you ran into. Like, so someone did something like this, but he got funding. Yeah. He got funding. funding. Um, but he, so I internet stalked him, not in a creepy way, just to find out more. And he got VC funded. Like he's deep in the Silicon really? Valley. And he did. Yeah. Because, but, but I see why for that but service. But I think he needed it. Like you needed funding because it's a marketplace and it's, it's just big. Like you said, there was regulatory hurdles with getting people like licensed and it's a whole thing. So I, I guess my point is, I don't think any of my ideas previously were bad, but like, the other one, the content marketing, there's someone doing that that's doing really well, but like that just wasn't, it wasn't a great space for me. Yeah, because I, I think it wasn't your, it, it wasn't your like niche and you were building a lot of knowledge around that and you were pounding the pavement interviewing people for it. Um, but 
everything requires background (laughs) knowledge. And if you don't have the background knowledge of that field, it's just really hard to break into it. And so it doesn't mean they weren't good ideas. It just means it wasn't like the right fit. Like we've had stuff that didn't work out and it, 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 I think that's like the really important thing that I pull from that quote is that it doesn't mean anything about you as a person or your ability to generate ideas or your ability to execute on them. You just have to be willing to understand, okay, maybe I should work on something else or like people, I initially needed this for sharing files, but then other people really want it just for this other purpose and being willing to change to that is, is really, really valuable. I have to say, though, while you were reading that, and I know the purpose was to point out the pivot, the success of the pivot, but all I could think was if someone gave me four months and a team, I could like take over the world. Like right now I'm trying to raise kids, like move, have a full-time job and do this side project thing. Like, oh my gosh, how luxurious would it be to just have all that time? Do you ever read the myth of the man month? Or whatever. I think no, I'm butchering the title that. of that book. But it's, I mean, it. it's among other things, it gets into this idea that it's like, it's not just a function of people and time about executing and succeeding on a problem. It's, you know, all of these other things we talk about, like building the right thing and having the right skills. Um, you know, of course, like, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be an expert in what you're building for, right? Like I am not a GIS person. And I, you know, I say this now when people are like, you have a geocoding service, you're a GIS person. I'm like, okay, yes, fine. But like, you know, I took one geography class in college. Like I never took a GIS class. Like I don't have any, you know, advanced degrees in GIS. Like I don't come from that field. Um, But I do come from it as a user of that information. And that's been really helpful because a lot of the GIS tools out there, geographic information systems tools, are built for GIS people. But there are a lot of people who are not GIS people who need geographic information, like marketers and data analysts and developers, like all sorts of other people. And so building it from the perspective of a consumer of that information like, has been really helpful in that regard, even though I was not a subject matter expert when we... Set out and maybe even better, right? Because it, you know, because you didn't have a deep knowledge of it, like you were able to design a product that appealed to someone like you who needs it, but doesn't have a deep knowledge of it. Yeah. And so I think that also counts as being a, you know, quote unquote expert in a field, you know, to your SEO idea. I, were you doing much in SEO either as a developer or as a, as a con like you're not a content. How did that even come about? The content marketing, I think it was a great, it came about because it felt like, so it felt like a solution that could be solved with software. Cause if you look at these mid-sized companies, they have content marketing managers and to have a successful content marketing strategy, you should do like kind of a, analysis of all your content. And there's so much you can do with your content. And I learned a ton about SEO while I was doing this. And people almost never do these like annual reviews of their content. And so you have stale content that can hurt you. You have like, you have all kinds of stuff. And people were doing that manually. Like they were building these content strategies manually. I mean, takes a ton of time. Like if you could extrapolate some of that manual content building, um, 
into software, like I think you'd have a really great product. And I found some companies that were actually doing it, but it felt like it was good because people with small sasses don't know a lot about content. Like I still think it's a good idea. Yeah, you know? I agree. Like, right? Like you have a small SaaS, you don't know a lot about content. So what if there was a software that could, instead of you having to get a subscription to Ahrefs and spent hours every week analyzing it, what if something just spit out for you, like what your keywords should be and what you should write about? I mean, it would be so great. (laughs) Yeah, it would be. um, I just didn't know. It seemed like it would be so great, but I interviewed content marketing managers at mid-sized companies and they didn't like it because their companies were big enough that they wanted like tight control over what their content strategy looked like. And people at the smaller SASs were totally into it, but like ultimately came down to, it was a cool idea, but I couldn't build it without someone else because I just don't know enough about content. And then you start getting AI involved and it was like, it was cool, but that would definitely be something where... I would need a lot more time. It wasn't something I could just build in a couple months. But think about it. If you spent the same, what if you could spend the same amount that you spent on Ahrefs? And I know it's pretty expensive and it would just like, and we barely spit use out it, honestly. Like I and feel you- <laughs> so guilty about it. Like I wish I used it more. I feel like it really makes sense for people who run ads and we don't run ads. So we should use something else. Yes. Thank you. I should. <laughs> As I close my books for the year and I'm reminded of all of our expenses, that one, uh, that one does come to mind as one that's like, ah, I should do something about that. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I still think the content thing was a good idea. I still think there's opportunity in that space, but ultimately I didn't care enough because I didn't really understand the problem well enough. But you had the humility to admit that. That's true. And I think that's (laughs) such an underrated quality of entrepreneurs too like you know especially we have this you know there's this whole cultural image of um you know the the Steve Jobs like entrepreneur and how you know they they stand on top of the mountain and these amazing business ideas are beamed to them from the heavens like a lightning bolt like and it's just like come on like I think that holds people back because they're like well I'm not a Steve Jobs person you know I don't have the personality for this or whatever and it's like that you just have to have the curiosity to go out and notice a problem talk to people about it admit that maybe you don't know everything about it learn about it right like this this kind of humility that you have exhibited and then sometimes you say okay i'm i'm not the person to build this and sometimes you are yeah but yeah. being willing to listen to other people and you know, I think listen to your own instincts on that is is really key. And, you know, yeah, good businesses do not come down like a gift from the gods, you know, <laughs> floating on a cloud, right? Like they are built by solving genuine problems that people have and how you find those problems is being curious about them and listening to people about their problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best thing, I probably spent six months on this content idea, and the best thing I did is I didn't write any code. I just talked to people. Like, I thought about it. Like, how could I build this? I saw what else was out there, but I'm so glad I didn't spend two years writing something that uh, would have been a bad fit. So that was that was useful. You, you just reminded me of a great tweet I saw the other day from Val Geisler, 
she said, a lot of people will tell you to talk to your customers, but they don't tell you what they really mean is listen to your customers. The hardest and most important part of customer interviews is shutting up. And you just reminded me that when you were talking about, you know, you spent six months talking to people, you spent six months listening to people and, you know, thinking about where you were from when you first had the idea about military moms making money through babysitting and now something you have gotten really good at in the last year and a half or two and a half years is listening to people. Yes, I definitely think I have gotten better. Um, And the content marketing thing, I probably spoke to 10 people at least. Like I spoke to a lot of people. I was really emotionally tied to the idea because I thought it was so brilliant. But person after person was kind of like, eh, I'm not interested. And then, but you know what I thought, Michelle? I then thought about Steve Jobs. So it's funny you just mentioned him because I thought, you know, what they always say about Steve Jobs is, he doesn't listen to people. He just tells them what they want. Well, that's great for Steve Jobs, but like, I'm not Steve Jobs. Um, so yeah, so I finally, after talking to 10 people, realized literally not one of those people was excited to, you know, seem to have this problem. It was kind of like, oh, okay. So this is not for me to build. That takes humility to admit that. This is why I love the dog fooding, build something for yourself idea. You'll see a lot of people say, don't do that. Cause they're like, you don't really know what the market needs, but it's worked really well for me. And I, think you I should never use your own product. Like, yeah. Like I'm using it. I, I have this product. I'm using it across I several different like, right? like, <laughs> And it's really nice because you know exactly how it works. Um, I don't know. I think it's worked out really well for me and you don't lose motivation when you're building it. Cause you're so motivated when you're your ideal customer. Yeah, I mean, most of these days when I'm using our product, it's to, um, you know, like validate an issue a customer saw. Like there, there have been some times for uh, various volunteer efforts I've been part of um, that I have actually used it. And those have been so exciting. And I end up being like, okay, hold on, actually, we really have to fix this. This is super annoying and this took way too long. This is awesome. But I, what I need is to be able to do this. And like, mm-hmm. but like we have these really excited like jam sessions after that where we're rapidly improving the product because you're seeing it firsthand. And yes, you are not the customer and you need more customers than yourself. That is no question, but but sort of like we are reading in Adam Grant's book, part of that is going out and talking to people and understanding what they need and pivoting or just, you know, making slight changes and expanding your understanding of the problem based on what they need. Yeah. I do have to say too, in the early days when you're either idea generating or you have a nascent product like I do, it's hard to find people to talk to. And I think that's, That can be hard. When I got started, like all the advice was always to talk to people, but even that can be hard, you know, when you're, when you're starting. This, this actually like on that topic, you know, I remember that you, for the babysitting idea, you interviewed people that you found on military base Facebook groups, right? That's right. Like you found, you found the people and then you were talking to, um, kind of like a community of people we know who are bootstrappers and this makes me excited to read um, Arvid Call's like up- upcoming book, which is apparently all about this kind of uh, embedding yourself in communities and engaging with people and and learning about 
problems that way. Yeah. Yeah. So for the first thing I found, like you said, the, the babysitting thing, I found people on Facebook for the content marketing. I hit up SaaS owners, but I think, I still think the content marketing thing is a good idea, but I hit up small SaaS owners, like small one to two person companies. And I think, you know, that was the wrong size company for a product like that. You'd need a, a mid-sized SaaS. And I just don't have access to those people. And even now for my file uploader, I'm having a hard time talking to people. Like I'm talking to anyone who will talk to me, but, but I, if you ask me who my ideal customer is right now, I don't exactly know because it's um, okay not to know, <laughs> right? Like people are signing up, which is amazing. And people are using it. Uh, but very few people are talking to me and they're still, people are still like a kind of across the board in terms of how they're using it. So even now I'm still kind of like, huh, who is my ideal customer? I don't know. I find that, you know, asking the the right questions that get the information that's useful for you is a hard thing and it never stops being something you have to improve. Um, and actually, so this week we changed something. So we have a little like NPS survey that pops up for people. And so we'll see them come through and it'll say, you know, someone gave us a 10 and then we, we have a little question that says, what can we do to improve? And sometimes like people will put in something like that went wrong or like they have a suggestion, but most of the time it comes, you know, it, it posts to Slack. And then if they put comments in, it, it comes into intercom and it'll say something to the effect of 10 and you know, what should we do to improve? Like nothing, like keep up the great work, which like is really nice and makes us feel good, but isn't necessarily giving us something that we can use to improve. And it is, you know, it's it's not fair of us to ask our customers what we can do to improve. Like that is our job to know that, right? Like that's basically asking them to do our work for us. And so I changed that question this week to what did you use before you used Geocodio? Mm, that's and good. it has been so interesting. And I have gotten to jump straight into those conversations about people's processes and what their frustrations with the other tools are and you know what they're trying to create overall like what does their end project or, or product look like um and and why weren't they happy with the other things and what are they coming to us for um and and I can get that out of a one even if they give me a one word answer that says you know the census geocoder I can be like you know, can you tell me more about that? Like why we're using that versus you're using us now? And it's a really good springboard into a conversation. Um, but it's, it's, it, 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 it can be hard to ask the right questions to elicit the information that's both not too taxing on the person you're asking the question to, right? Like asking them yeah. what we can improve is kind of a taxing question. Like you're asking them to yes. sit down and think about it unless they had something that like just right now annoyed them that might be a difficult question to answer. So they just put nothing. Um, and also gives us information that we can work with. And so I'm excited about this new question I'm asking because it's giving us really good information that we can use as a springboard, but it's also a very easy question for them to ask. For, to yes. Answer. So I thought about that. So as I said, it's hard. I mean, I am, I'm hand emailing everyone, right? Literally every person who signs up. And the response rate is really low. And then one guy emailed me back and he's like, sure, I can answer your questions. And I e emailed him like 
four detailed questions and he never responded. And I'm looking back at that email and it was like way too much of a cognitive load for mm-hmm. this poor guy to answer. I mean, I should have emailed him one question. Like, I feel like, cause I was, the questions we've talked about, like, what are you using it for? And like, what did you use before this? Have you paid for cloud storage before? And like the guy just bounced, which I get because it was probably way too overwhelming. It would have taken 30 minutes to respond to all my questions. Yeah. So I, I feel like a call would be better for that when you have more well, than I, one question. I always, yeah, I always go call first. I always ask for a call first, um, but a lot of, I don't want to say a lot. Very few people have taken me up on the call, maybe four, um, which is still better than zero. I think people are so scared by sales calls, like especially, I, f- I feel like technical people, like we're, s- <laughs> we're, we're so, um, you know, sort of shell shocked by it. Like we're so used to you sign up a service and then you get the call from the sales guy and you're like, oh, you hate not it. Again. I know. Like, I hate that. No, I don't want to have to give you my phone number to sign up for your service. Like I just want to use your $10 a month plan. Please leave me alone. Like, and I think people are just, are so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it, so burned out by companies with, you know, bigger sales departments than product departments that, um, that somebody asking to have a phone call right after you sign up for something is, uh, <laughs> it, it like red flags go up. Like I, I used to say explicitly in the feedback email, like, no, this is not a sales call. And then I realized that my response rates were going down further. Cause I think because I used the word sales word call, sales. people like had that like anxiety <laughs> feeling and they're like, ah, and like ran away. Yeah. Um, actually putting in like, I put in mind, yes, this is an automated email, but I will respond to you personally like and basically just like try it out come on like test me um and people seem to like that um I've gotten some good comments on that so I have set up I have like five templates that I'm just randomly assigning to different people to see if I can get a better response rate on like one template versus the other but I think as we've talked about it's just kind of a playing around with different language and and you know figuring out what people will respond to. And And if you get 5% back, that's really, really good, by the way. Like the most I have ever gotten is 8%. So, you know, keep keep that in mind. Like if you get one person out of 20 people, you're you're doing pretty good. Yeah, I think too, um, I hate email. So I get that. Like I totally get it. I, I am email overload. Like I will not respond. If I got that email and I wasn't having any problems, I would not respond to it. (laughs) so so I mean I totally get it Uh, although maybe I have more empathy now that I'm actually trying to build my own business maybe next time I get that email I won't I will respond but uh, yeah I feel like we could talk about customer interviews and strategies to get people to talk to us um forever but I am curious so how is the business side of everything going this week it's so good, Michelle. Is it? Wait, okay, hold on. Are we like burying this lead like 30 minutes in here that things if are If you're doing... not still here, you don't get to hear about how things are going. Congratulations on making it this far. <laughs> Only the you. committed listeners. <laughs> um, things are going really well. People are signing up. Okay, so it's funny because I think I put something on Twitter the other day saying I was going to shorten my free trial. Yeah. From 30 days to seven. And... The way it's set up with Stripe right now, as we've talked about, I don't have any time to do any dev work. So I I had two people that were either going to convert or churn. They both converted, by the way. Nice. I know. Um, 
And then I was going to change it to seven days, but four people signed up. <laughs> it's like crap. right before you changed it, <laughs> right before. So I can't change it now until <laughs> those, till those people uh, convert or churn, or I have the time to figure out how to do it properly. So that was really <laughs> funny. Like, I don't know if that was just a total random fluke coincidence or if someone like saw my tweet and was like, I should sign up now. So I get 30 days. But Yeah, I think I retweeted it from the podcast account. Maybe I shouldn't have. Um, so, so last was time was like you were like $120 a month in MRR. Can I ask you where we're at now? Or you're yes. at. It's not a we. This is a you. Yes, you can. $325. Heck yeah. Right? Like what is happening? <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. Now, as we have discussed, this is all fake money until the end of the month because I don't get paid till the end of the month. So I have only seen 10 of these dollars. Okay. The, but you have received dollars. like $10. I have received this, you yes. know, $9.50, whatever Stripe gives you. <laughs> so I have received real money from a real person that is not me. That is amazing. Um, <laughs> That is amazing. But based on the sign-up rate, like things are going really well. Um, but again, like I don't really count that because I think the Heroku people are going to have a high propensity to churn because if they don't use it, they're going to see it on their bill at the end of the month and, you know, they'll, they'll churn. But you get paid so. even if they don't use it, right? Like you get paid so, once they start, like once they enable it, then that starts the charge, even though that's rolled up at the end of the month. Like, like if someone signs up right now and then decides they're going to cancel on March 1st, you would still get paid for that period of time. That's right. Prorated amount. So I don't get paid for the whole month. That's but something. Yes. Every minute they I mean, have, we want to keep an eye on that, but that's like, yeah, you get that money. Every minute they have the thing provisioned, like I get paid. So Sweet. it's, I'm going to get paid something. So it's very exciting. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I think my goal, so my goal before had been to get one new sign up a week. Like that is a growth rate that I think would be really great. And I'm far exceeding that. So I think my kind of modified goal is to get one sign up plus actually uploading files a week because once they upload files, they're much more likely to stick around. So do you, you mentioned you have all these emails going out to people. Do you have an email that's like, hey, I noticed you signed up, but you haven't uploaded any files. Let me know if I can help you. Yeah, I do. That's one of my, so every couple days, like I don't do it right away because I'm still doing that manually, but every like two or three days I check it and I send out all those emails to people who have not uploaded files. That's the right thing to do. It's actually good I'm so busy with work because I'm not obsessing over it. Like, and so I'm spending the time on it that I can, which is not a lot right now, but it's really giving it some space to breathe, I think. And I think with that space, I'm going to learn. I've gotten some really good feedback. Like one piece of feedback that didn't even occur to me is someone mentioned that he really liked how you can see all your files in your admin dashboard. And one of the really frustrating things about S3 is to, you can't see your, I mean, you log into your AWS account, you can see your bucket, and then you can see like your folders. So you have to go in every folder and, and then you don't even know what image it is unless you click on it. And it's a whole thing. So he, I never even, he was like, oh, I didn't know I was going to have this feature. This is super cool. Cause I don't talk about it delight. anywhere. Yeah. Creating moments awesome. of delight. So yeah. So things are, things are going really well and I'm just going to keep on, keep on in. All right. I think that's going to about wrap us up for this week. Thank you so much everyone um, for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI. 
the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Bright Bits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Worksighted, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.